Hello, and welcome to As We Wait, an in-depth, verse-by-verse study of the entire Bible led by pastor and teacher Mike Scanlon of Calvary Chapel, Susanville, California. Let's join Mike in our study of the New Testament Gospel of John, Chapter 11. We have a few moments before we begin, so let's get our Bibles and notebooks and prepare our hearts and minds to receive the Word of the Lord. Well, tonight we're uh, in the Gospel of John. We're going to be in chapter 11 as we continue in our track through the, the New Testament. And so if you open up your Bibles to John chapter 11, and then once you get there, if you'd stand for just a moment while we read, in reverence, honoring our Lord, giving reverence to His Word. John chapter 11, beginning out verse 1. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, He abode two days, still in the same place where he was. But after that, uh, saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee. Goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, but he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things saith he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may wake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleeps, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about fifteen furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at that last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Gracious Father, we stand here tonight understanding that really you're asking us the same question. Do we believe? Lord, as much as we can, we say, Lord, we believe. Help us, Lord, in our unbelief. Help us, Father, to hear your voice more clearly. 
Help us, Lord, to trust in you more. Guide us to understand these things, Father. We commit our ways to you afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. Many men, you guys can be seated. Well, this is a, a fun portion of Scripture. I mean, talking about the raising the dead. In the Gospel of John, this is actually the last great miracle that's recorded uh, in the Gospel of John in Jesus' public ministry, raising Lazarus from the dead. And so uh, it's packed with a lot of insight and a lot of blessings for us. Uh, looking at uh, verse 1, it says, Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. In other places, the Bible speaks about how Jesus went to Martha's house. Here it talks about the town of Mary, if you will. Martha was known as a homemaker because it was her house. But it was Mary's town because she knew everybody and everybody knew her. And so it's kind of interesting, the dynamics, the family dynamics there. Looking at some of the names, and I always kind of like looking at the names, Lazarus is the Greek form of Eleazar. And if you remember, Eleazar means helped of God or helper or comforter. The town Bethany, uh, its name literally means house of unripe figs. Later on, it would kind of take on the name of house of misery or house of affliction. And that's because Simon the leper was from Bethany. And then later on, when Jesus left Bethany on his way to Jerusalem one day, he came across a fig tree uh, that didn't produce figs, didn't produce fruit. And so he commanded the fig tree to be withered. And so there are a lot of negative things there. But Jesus is um, going to Bethany, and you can see it's pretty close to Jerusalem, looking at the map here on the screen. This is the old town of Jerusalem, and that's the Mount of Olives just uh, east of that. And Bethany's about, I don't know, a mile and a half, two miles away from Jerusalem. So it's a fairly short little walk on the other side, the other slope, if you will, of the Mount of Olives. And so it's pretty close. People can stay there and commute pretty easily uh, to Jerusalem itself. Uh, the other name, and I'm kind of just taking the names in order, Mary is the Greek form of Miriam. And, you know, Mary's a, a nice sounding name. A lot of, you know, neat people are named Mary. But the name Mary actually means bitter or obstinate. And it kind of struck me because, you know, and it starts off further back in the Old Testament when uh, the children of Israel got into the Red Sea and they crossed into the Sinai. And at one point they got to the bitter springs, the Mara Springs. And it goes on from there. Even in uh, the book of Ruth, Naomi says, don't call me Naomi. My name is Bitter, is Mara. Uh, it's kind of funny that the name means that, but a lot of people don't take heed to the names, you know, meanings of things anymore. But Martha, uh, who was almost always mentioned first because she's the oldest of the two sisters, uh, her name means mistress or dominant one. It's really the feminine form of, of the word lord or master. And so she was the, the master of the house. And obviously the one that was kind of the shaker and, the, and mover. But verse 2, it was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment. He wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And so John is kind of positively identifying which Mary he's talking about. Because there are several Marys in the Bible, several Marys in the New Testament that are spoken of. We've got Mary, the mother of Jesus. We've got Mary Magdalene, uh, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and uh, others. And so it's good that uh, she's identified. Uh, Jesus was actually anointed two different times, once by an unidentified uh, harlot in the house of Simon the Pharisee, and that's recorded in Luke chapter 7. And then another time by Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, and that's in the next chapter in John chapter 12. It's kind of interesting that talking about him being anointed those two times, the first time where he was anointed, the Pharisees were critical. Then the second time, the disciples were critical. This also points to the fact that John's gospel is not in absolute chronological order. 
is he talks about the same Mary that anointed his feet. Well, that's great, but that happens in the next chapter where it's described. And so we can see that John's not uh, in strict uh, chronological order. But then in verse 3, it says, Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, uh, whom thou lovest is sick. Uh, the word sick there doesn't mean that necessarily he's going to die. I mean, it, he does eventually die. Obviously, he's very sick. But it just means that he's infirm, he's weak, he's feeble. It's more than a cold, but it doesn't say that he's you know sick unto death. It just says he's ill. Mary and Martha send a message to Jesus. They communicate to him. And you know, it's interesting when we talk to Jesus, what is that? That's called prayer. And they make their prayer known. They make their petition known. And that's exactly what we're encouraged to do. When we have trouble, when we're concerned about something, we should make our petitions known to the Lord. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your mind through Christ Jesus our Lord. See, when we commit it to God, we understand that he's taken care of it at that point. We've given it to him. He will then do the right thing. He'll do the best thing. And so we need not worry anymore after that. That's why we can be anxious for nothing. But then they say, the one that you love. I like this. Just like the Apostle John. He describes himself in the Gospel of John as the Apostle whom Jesus loved. And I like that. There is that sense or an understanding that Jesus loves each one of us individually. You know, you can refer to yourself as the one that Jesus loves. Because he does. He loves you not just in a corporate sense. He died for all of mankind. But Jesus died for each one of us individually. I know that Paul felt the same way. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he said, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Not loved us and gave himself for us. It was very personal to Paul. And it should be personal for us as well. I've heard it said, and it's kind of funny as I was going through this today, you know, that if we were the only person on earth, Jesus would have come and he would have died for us. And it sounds almost like a cliche until you start going through some of the scriptures and realize it's true, that Jesus loves us each as individuals. Whether we deserve it or not, he loves us. And I like that because that makes it a personal kind of a love, a personal relationship. We are each special to Jesus. And because he died for each one of us individually, our lives have value. And again, it becomes very personal, which is the fruit of a personal relationship with him. Now, the sisters are describing Jesus' love for Lazarus, you know, the one that you love, as opposed to what Jesus might have said. Because when they say, you know, the one that you love, they use that word phileo. And, you know, when you talk about phileo love, we're talking about brotherly love. We're talking about like a fraternal love, the kind of love you'd have for a teammate or a friend. Not necessarily the same kind of love that you would have for a wife or for a child. Uh, not the kind of love that God describes when he talks about his love for us. He talks about agape love, which is selfless love, self-sacrificing love, love that loves without looking for anything in return. And so they are coming into a, a greater understanding of how God loves them. They describe very honestly your friend Lazarus. Well, that's another way to look at that. But if Jesus was describing his love for us, and he did, in John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus says, Greater love, greater agape, hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is willing to sacrifice his life for each of us. And that's the kind of love that he has for us. Now, through this trial, they will all come to know the love of Jesus in a deeper, fuller way. Through this experience, and we can say through this difficult experience, God will reveal himself to each of them, to Mary, to Martha, to Lazarus for sure, okay, but also to the disciples. They're learning what it is to be loved of God. 
And they're going to learn it in a very real and personal way. Now, to me, this is also proof that Jesus does, in fact, allow those whom he loves to get sick, to go through difficult trials, and that likewise it will have a positive result in the end. There are those that claim that, you know, if God really loves you, then you're not going to have any problems. And that's not true. You know, Jesus told us in John 16, 33, in this world you will have trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. And as we read this, that, you know, Lazarus is sick, but Lazarus and his sisters acknowledge that Jesus loves them. Jesus then expresses the fact that he loves Lazarus and those guys. I mean, it's acknowledged on both ends of the equation, yet Lazarus is sick. There must be some loving reason behind it. There must be some motivation behind it that it's going to bless or it's going to benefit. Here we see also that the information is presented. They just write a note or send a messenger, hey, the one that you love is sick. They don't say, come quickly and heal him. They don't say, hurry up, get over here, anything. They just kind of impart that information, expecting that Jesus will then do the right thing. And they assume that because of the love that Jesus has demonstrated towards Lazarus and the family, that upon hearing of the need, he will do whatever is needful. And I like that, that they don't direct God in what to do. I think I need to learn that lesson for myself. Sometimes I've got lots of good counsel for God. Lord, here's the list of good things that you kind of need to do today. In case you're lacking, Father, this understanding, if I could just explain the situation to you a little more fully, then you'll know what's needful here. And I've been doing that regarding our church building. I've been doing that regarding a number of different things over the years. And I've just kind of started to figure out that, you know, God really doesn't need my counsel. You know, that he does just fine on his own, and he does it always the best way. The prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 40, verse 13, asks this kind of rhetorical question, Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or being his counselor, has taught him? None of us have. We learn from him. And I like this as well, that they're not saying that the one that loves you, they're not talking about how dedicated Lazarus is to Jesus. They're not talking about how he's a righteous man and deserving of God's favor and that Jesus should come quickly and take care of this problem. They're not saying the one that loves you, They're saying the one that that you love, the one that you love, approaching God on the basis of God's love for us, approaching God based on God's love for Lazarus, as opposed to approaching God based on Lazarus' love for God. You see, our love is fickle, and it's erratic. We can have just a bad lunch and wonder if God's still with us or not. Stub our toe or have just a bad day and go, God, you're there. We're like little kids sometimes that we just we don't have any faithfulness but that's okay god knows that and he is faithful his love is abiding his love is steady his love is eternal it's unchanging paul writes about that a little bit in romans 5 8 he says but god commends or demonstrates his love towards us in that while we're yet sinners christ died for us he didn't die for us because we were deserving he died for us because he loves us in fact, the Apostle John puts it very correctly in the right order in 1 John 4.19. We love him because he first loved us. Our love for him is in response to his love for us already. You know, the word phileo, the kind of love that they're describing, basically they're saying that Lazarus, the one that Jesus loves, is a friend of God. In a certain sense, I kind of like that in a way because we're friends of God too. See, Jesus says that you're either with me or you're against me. We're on his side or we're against him. That means if we're on his side, we're his friend. And because we're his friend, that means he chose us. He's not stuck with us and doing the best he can you know, because of it to put up with us in the meantime. I like that, that he loves us. He wants to be with us. He chose to be with us. He chose you to be with him. 
and he enjoys your company. Not everyone enjoys my company. You know, not everyone, they're not lined up out the front door. Oh, wow, I want to spend time with Mike. But Jesus is always there. Jesus is always there, and he loves to hear from us. He loves it when we pray and spend time with him. He loves it when we worship him and sing praises to him. He loves it when we just sit quietly somewhere and read his word and have fellowship with him when he has an opportunity to speak into our hearts. Our God is really into us. Don't you like that? That when you approach him, he doesn't say, oh, hang on a minute, let me finish this one thing up. He's always right there. And I like that, that we are his friend. In fact, again, he says just as much in John chapter 15 when he says, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Jesus declares that we are his friends. If we follow him and seek after him, we are his friends. We have got a friend in Jesus. I think that's a song, but it's just a cool thought. Jesus goes on to explain here in verse 4. He says, When Jesus heard that he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Jesus, as he gets the news, and the disciples probably heard it, and they're waiting, like, oh, wow, we're going to take off now and go you know, rescue Lazarus? And Jesus kind of begins to explain the plan a little bit. First off, he says that this sickness is not unto death, which is probably good news because they don't know it yet, because Jesus will explain it in a minute, that before the news even got there, Lazarus is already dead. Okay, so they're thinking, well, well, Lazarus is sick. Oh, wow. But he calms him down. Don't worry. He's going to be okay. This is not really the end. And death will not be the final result, not for Lazarus and not for those that believe in Jesus because of what they're going to see and hear. They're going to come to a different understanding of who Jesus is. Now, a delayed response isn't exactly what Mary and Martha were looking for. When they sent the news... They just kind of figured that Jesus would drop everything he's doing and hot-footed over there to Bethany to take care of the problem. Kind of like when sometimes you get a call from somebody. Like I called somebody today, hey man, I need help with something. (laughs) I didn't really want to wait three hours. And I was glad that somebody showed up to help me out. But oftentimes we're like that. We don't really want to wait. We think that it's going to be taken care of quickly. And we see the delay, and sometimes we get frustrated. Sometimes we see the delay and we're thinking, oh, do I have what it's need? And obviously... Mary and Martha were looking for a prompt response. And as we read our narrative, we see that Jesus hears the news and waits two more days. Like, huh. Now, they didn't know that. I mean, the messenger went back, perhaps, and said, yeah, I told the Lord. And they go, well, what's he doing? Uh, He was eating lunch. You know, (laughs) or he was doing, you know, something. They're kind of going, what? But that's because God doesn't operate the way that we always expect him to operate. That's one of the biggest, I think, fallbacks or failings of religion, and religion being man's idea of what God ought to do or not do, man's traditional rules for how God works. And it's really interesting because God really likes to surprise us. God likes to make it a point that he's not going to get locked into some kind of religious box, some systematic way of doing things. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. My kids uh, just today actually started uh, piano lessons. And Grace and I have been talking about this for a couple of weeks, and we were going to look at some garage sales, trying to pick up a, a keyboard or talk to somebody that had one or, or something, you know, trying to figure it all out. And we're just kind of thinking it through. And, and then today uh, she's driving down the road, and there's a piano on the side of the road. 
And, you know, quite honestly, uh, she called me, hey, I want you to go over and take a look at this piano. We found a piano on the side of the road. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. What kind of piano are you going to find on the side of the road? You know, come on. And she just kind of drove by, didn't really stop and look at it. But no, there's a piano on the side of the road. So I'm like, oh, okay. Just to kind of, you know, placate my wife a little bit, you know, and just play along. Yeah, I'll go check it out. Well, I get over there to to check it out, and then she kind of beat me to it. She's there, she's looking at it, and I'm thinking, well, man, it's not like what I thought it would be, because there's a piano over here at Mama's next door that is thrashed. I mean, it's big beat up, there's keys missing, there's pedals missing, and all kinds of stuff. And that's kind of what I expected to see. I figured every kid walking by would take a hammer to it or something, you know. But we get over there, and it's actually in pretty decent shape. So I, I start, you know, I know a lot about music, so I start playing each key. I go, well, they sound good to me. Then uh, Carol Clark comes over, and she goes, well, let me check it out. And she, I go, yeah, I don't want to lug this huge paperweight into my house, you know. And so she plays it, and it plays out fine. We ended up picking that thing up and put it in my truck and hauled it to my house. We wanted to bless our kids with a, a keyboard. Guy goes, no, I want you to have a piano. <laughs> and I'm going to leave it out on the side of the road where you can get it easy. You know? <laughs> God's ways are not our ways. I was thinking about how I'm going to go buy something or do something or negotiate something, you know, and God goes, no, i got a whole different plan here. You, know, you can't limit God on what he's going to do. When we do limit God, I think we limit the blessings that are going to be poured out upon us. We need to keep an open mind. You know, Jesus said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, that my grace is sufficient for thee, my strength is made perfect in weakness. And I think this scenario kind of fits the bill there perfectly. There's nothing we can do to reverse death. Jesus, as this story kind of plays out, we know that Lazarus dies, right? And obviously the sisters are trying to get Jesus there before that happens. But Jesus intentionally allows Lazarus to die. And it's a hopeless situation. There's nothing that anybody can do. I mean, you can't give a guy medicine for death. Once you're dead, you're done. And it's one of those things that the strength of God is made perfect in weakness. Now, Jesus again refers to himself in this verse, and it's kind of cool, as the Son of God. You know, when he's talking to the Pharisees in previous chapters, he refers to himself as the Son of God, and they get all ticked off when they throw rocks and all kinds of stuff. And you know, almost the, the opinion at times, at least the thought, that Jesus is just provoking them, that Jesus is just throwing that out there, like, haha, I'm the Son of God, and you're not. And it starts this kind of contentious discussion or debate. But even in an instructive way, Jesus tells them that he is the Son of God, right there. But for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. He's teaching them, but they're going to come to understand that he really is the Son of God because only God can do the things that Jesus is about to do. And again, Jesus intends to use this situation to be glorified. So often we get into a, kind of a difficult thing. And I think one of the things that we need to do as Christians is that whenever we encounter difficulty, whenever we encounter a trial of some sort in our life, instead of asking, why God, like why me, or why now, we should be asking, Lord, what? What do you want me to learn from this? What, Lord, are you doing in my life? How is this going to impact me in an eternal way? What are you doing that I can go along with your plan? The best thing that we can do is when God is working in our life, sometimes through trials and difficult things, is simply to yield and let God do what he wants to do. And that's the way that we can facilitate that as quickly as possible. I don't want to spend 10 years learning a lesson, a difficult lesson, when I can just go, okay, Lord, and learn it in two weeks. I'm here to find you. Reveal yourself. Well, that's all the time we have for now. 
You've just been listening to Mike Scanlon of Calvary Chapel, Susanville, California, expounding upon Chapter 11 in the Gospel of John. Please join us again next time as we continue our study through the book of John and the entire Bible. As We Wait is an outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Susanville, California. We pray that you have been blessed and would like to invite you to join us in person. We meet at 450 Richmond Road, Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30, Wednesday evenings at 7, and communion is celebrated the first Sunday of each month at 6 p.m. To get the entire study on CD, you can call the church office at 530-257-4833 or write to us at P.O. Box 1316, Susanville, California, 96130. For more information or to stream all of our broadcasts, you can go to www.ccsusanville.com. Until we meet again, may the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus be upon you. Amen.